Today's reading of the Holy Gospel according to the witness of St. Matthew, the seventh chapter, Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, $25.8 billion. Billion dollars. That's the amount of money that was generated in revenue as last year 54 million Americans paid for memberships in over 36,000 gyms and fitness centers across the land. That's not all. 3.1 billion was spent on exercise machines, devices to use at home. 3.2 billion was spent on various running shoes from all the shoe manufacturers. And REI uh, had their most profitable year, 2.4 billion in revenue. Like a gym membership, a home exercise machine, a pair of hiking boots or running shoes do no good if they just sit there. They have to be used if we are to receive any benefit. To be physically fit, you have to do more than simply join a health club or purchase some gadget. You must actually put them to use. Last year, over 40 million Bibles were sold in these United States. And it's estimated that with all of our diversity and all the ways in which the world has changed these last 20-some years, that still over 90% of American households have at least one Bible in their homes, and most have many more. And that's a good thing. We need to remember that at the time of Martin Luther, uh, no peasant, no merchant, no farmer, no uh, business person, no one but the clergy... The church authorities were allowed to have holy scriptures in their possession. It was Luther who said, let's translate this Bible into the language of the people, German at the time, and let them have God's word in their home for their own growth and their own strength and their own edification. So it's good that there's millions of Bibles in all these homes across the land. But my question would be, how many of these Bibles are actually opened and read, even discussed among family members? How many people seek to learn from God's word and then put what they learn into practice? Jesus tells us that our spiritual fitness, our spiritual strength, our vitality, which is necessary to meet adversity, uh, storms that come our way, is a matter of doing the word, doing the word. The wise man, the wise woman puts the word into practice. A foolish person allows that word, like 
I think many of our mothers and maybe some of our fathers used to say, are you just letting this go in one ear and out the other? Huh? The person who only hears the word without doing it, well, their life can meet with catastrophe. Now, I know we have many different beautiful, faithful translations of the New Testament into English. And in some of your Bibles, it may read that uh, the wise person acts on God's word. The wise man puts them into practice. Uh, My RSV translation is the wise person does the word. The actual Greek word is makes something with it. Jesus says we need to do something. We need to make something with the word. Make something of our lives, of our life, of our witness. So let's meditate this morning, you and I, on um, what it means to be spiritually strong and do the word. And as we do, the first thing we need to remember from the text, from the words of Christ himself, is that the rains, the floods, the winds, the, the storms of life, if you will, are things we all must face, all of us. Wise or foolish, the rains, the floods, the winds will come upon us all. Do I need to tell you this? You know this from your own life experience, do you not? A spiritual fitness, um, devoted discipleship, uh, seeking the mind of Christ, does not mean that we are protected from the world around us. It does not mean that we are going to be protected from all the pains and all the difficulties and all the disappointments. That's just part of life this side of heaven. Uh, Spending time in the Word, contrary to what some counterfeit preachers preach, does not mean that somehow we are uh, protected by this spiritual bubble so that trouble stays away. In fact, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, uh, pick up your cross and get in line. And, you know, the cross was not a party. The cross was pain. The cross was a time of anguish. But what Jesus tells us is that these rains, these floods, these winds of life will not destroy us when our lives are founded on the solid rock. And that rock is the Word, and that Word is Jesus, the Word made flesh. So let's remember, when we are spiritually fit, we may indeed cry. My wife and I have soaked our pillows with tears. Have you not done the same? We may mourn. And we've all had our share of suffering. But in Christ, these things do not have the final word, nor do they destroy us or defeat us. But hearing the word without doing it, without leaning into it, accomplishes little. In fact, Jesus says such behavior results in lives that fall apart when the storms come our way. And that, uh, that falling apart is enormous. Great was the fall of the foolish man's home. We also remember that we don't need to complicate this. Doing the word, acting on the word, simply means that we try to put into practice, when we're far away from a house of worship, what we learn from Christ, what we learn from the word of God in his holy scriptures. 
for years and years. As a pastor, I have uh, been part of our confirmation ministry. And we still do what many of you did in childhood years ago. We have our sons and daughters, and we don't call it confirmation. It's still the same thing. We call it SURF, Students Understanding Real Faith. We have them learn the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, the meaning of baptism and communion. And we have them learn the Ten Commandments. But, you know, it's one thing to be able to stand in front of a congregation on Confirmation Sunday and recite the Ten Commandments. And that's a good thing to have them memorized. It's another thing to put those commandments of God into practice, to actually do them. How about the Eighth Commandment? You remember it. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do you remember, those of you who went to confirmation years ago, what that tells us? We do not lie, betray, or slander. We don't speak falsely of our neighbor. But it was Martin Luther who reminded us that this commandment is not just a prohibition, but it is a, uh, an encouragement to do something, and that doing something is speaking well of our neighbor, defending our neighbor, putting the best construction on things when we hear that our neighbor is in trouble, not the worst construction. I mean, if, if Christians would just put this word into practice, what a better world it would be, what a better congregation ours would be when we assume the best about one another, not the worst. So as Christians, doing the word means we don't participate in gossip. We don't have time for it. Nor do we pass on things that we've heard third-hand, believing in the hearsay. I don't know about you, but I've been really hurt by things like that. Just a really quick sidebar. My first year here, there was a little chatter going through the congregation because people didn't like the way that I was showing affection for Tom Crow's wife. People saw me putting my arm around her, even kissing her in the parking lot. What they didn't know was that was my wife. And they were confusing Vicky Crow and Kirsten Wilder. Not my bad, theirs. <laughs> Took a long time trying to figure out how far that rumor had been spread. I actually had to bring Kirsten up in front at all the services to say, this is my woman, not Tom Crow's. <laughs> Several years ago, I was on the receiving end of a man doing the word. My wife Kirsten and I had purchased a used vehicle for one of our daughters. She did a lot of traveling, and we didn't want to worry at night that she was in a car that might leave her stranded. So we made the purchase of a vehicle that we thought would be roadworthy for all of her road trips and travel in the middle of the night. Well, long after the 30-day warranty had expired, that daughter called me in the middle of the night and said, Dad, it is a bad thing when my car won't go over 40 and all the lights are on the dashboard. Yes, it's a very bad thing. Where are you? And so Pop had to go on a rescue mission, which I was glad to do. Long story made short, the engine was shot. We took it to a mechanic who said that, you know, the, the engines and this make and this model and this year vehicle... I mean, they're defective. They put out a factory recall on them years ago. Didn't you know that when you bought the car? No. Now, my confession to you is this. I have my stereotype of car salesmen. I don't think I'm alone. 
And I know that some people have stereotypes of pastors. I can't tell you how many times I'd heard from people, oh, it must be really nice to work just one day a week on Sunday. And when I hear that from people, I say, what are you doing doubling my workload? I knock off at noon on Sundays. I work a half day a week, buddy. So we all have our stereotypes, engineers, physicians, attorneys, teachers, homemakers. Anyway, I took it back to the dealership where we purchased it here in Albuquerque. And with my stereotype of car salesman, I expected the worst. And you know what this man told me? Some of you remember. He said, I'm sorry. I'll make it right. This shouldn't have happened. And when I told him how surprised I was by his response and how I was so thankful for his honesty and his integrity, he said this to me, not knowing that I am a pastor. You don't have to thank me. Because I'm a Christian and I'm just doing what my Heavenly Father expects. You don't get any points with Jesus for doing what's right. He was doing the word. Right there in a car lot. We do the word because it pleases God. Because we know that God is holy. God is good. God's word is for our blessing, for our benefit. We do the word not to score points, not in some sort of legalistic fashion. But we seek to do God's will in our daily lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our work with joy and thanksgiving. We do the word because God is so trustworthy It's reliable, this word. It's life. And this word has authority. Did you hear what Matthew tells us in his gospel? When Jesus finished telling the story of the wise man and the foolish man, the crowds were astounded at Jesus because he'd heard their religious leaders. But this Jesus, this rabbi, this man from Nazareth spoke with authority. His word was different. That word authority also means power. That word appears throughout Matthew's gospel. In the 10th chapter, Jesus calls his 12 disciples and sends them out with this same authority to cast out evil. At the very end of Matthew's gospel, in chapter 28... Jesus says, all authority, the same word, all power has been given to me. Now you go in that power and by that authority as my disciples and share my teachings, my story, my life with the world. You see, all authority in heaven and on earth ultimately belongs to Jesus. That's why we obey. That's why we seek to put his words into practice. Because Jesus is God himself. Physical fitness, some of you know, takes time and commitment. And if you've been injured or gone through surgery, you know how hard it can be, how arduous it can be, going through physical therapy, trying to regain some of your former health and vitality. It doesn't come easy But I know from having spent some time in a wheelchair, some of you remember, that the benefits are worth the effort. It's a new year. 
Some of you have resolutions. I hope that's going well for you. For me, a new year means a new hope. Because once again, I have a chance to put in my application and maybe, just maybe, be drawn for an elk tag. Some of you don't know this. I hunt with bow and arrow. I train for this year-round knowing that the odds are against me to be drawn. But if I do get drawn to hunt an elk come September, I better not start trying to get in shape for that just weeks or months ahead of time. I have to do this year-round. I, 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 once or twice a week, will put 40 pounds in my backpack and go straight up the Sandia Mountains as fast as I can. And I saw one of our younger members on one of my favorite trails who said to me, Pastor, a man your age shouldn't be doing this. And first of all, I wanted to know, what do you mean, a man my age? But I know that I've got to train that way, even in the dead of winter, if I'm going to be ready for chasing an elk at seven, eight, nine thousand feet elevation. That training doesn't come easy, but it's worth it for me. Jesus paid the price for our spiritual well-being. His cross was difficult and painful. And the death he died, the death he chose, not turning his face from shame and spitting, was for our benefit that we would be fully alive in the word, spiritually fit, spiritually active, putting that word into practice every day. Some people think that this particular text um, is works righteousness having nothing to do with what Phil's saying about moments ago about amazing grace that here we're being told well if you want to be faithful then you have to do something you have to do the word look, look grace is categorically opposed to any notion that we would earn our place in the kingdom but that same grace has never been opposed to a little effort on our part. Jesus says, love one another as I first loved you. See, we do the word because the word was first given to us sinners, one and all. We cannot earn our place in God's kingdom. It's a gift. Pure, holy, unmerited. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 1. We have been adopted by God through Jesus Christ according to his goodwill. But as adopted sons and daughters, we can and we should do our best to live according to God's word. Our Father in heaven, doing our best simply means seeking his will. Don't wait for some extraordinary situation to be a doer of the word. You live in each and every moment under the lordship of Jesus and by his authority and his power. Do the word in all those ordinary moments of life, at work, at home, in your place of business, in your relationships. Put into practice what we learn from Jesus. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.